It's great to see you here tonight. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. want to thank you for being here and uh, just excited about this time of year. Uh, it is an awesome time of the year to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ. You have, an, you have an automatic instant conversation starter to share the gospel with people because there's Christmas stuff everywhere. And you can talk to people about the meaning or the purpose of all this Christmas decoration and what it really is all about, and I, I take that uh, that opportunity every chance I get. Uh, it's an awesome and exciting opportunity. I believe the greatest the greatest act of worship is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart, and uh, I just uh, I, I can't uh, I can't tell you what emotions go through me when, in some way, God allows me to to talk to somebody about Christ and they actually pray to receive Christ as their Savior. It's, uh, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life to know that somebody's eternal destiny has been established in their life now. And uh, it's just an amazing experience. And I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to share Jesus Christ. Every time I get up here, I try to bring this up as much as I can. What is Oakleaf Baptist Church about? Leading people to God. Listen, we get together and worship. We're not coming in here to worship to get fat on God's word. We're coming in here to worship to get lean and to learn so that we can go out and share the message of the Bible and Jesus Christ with people so that they can come to faith. That's what we're here for. So, in all of that being said, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Tonight we're going to dive into this, okay? So, pastor uh, contacted me this week. He was like, hey, would you be able to speak Sunday night? I was like, man, I'd love to speak Sunday night. So we started talking about that, and uh, I told him, listen, I believe I would like to teach the Bible lesson, the fourth Bible lesson in our life group series, because we're not doing life groups this week because of the holidays, and I don't like missing the life group lessons. It kind of throws everything off. So uh, I, I just told him, hey, listen, I'm going to preach the life group lesson. So if you happen to have your life book lesson book with you tonight, you can follow along in that life book, uh, lesson number four. And uh, as you know, we've been going through the Gospel of John, but tonight we shift gears and we go into Luke to talk about the birth of Christ and what took place. And what better time of year than the Sunday night before Christmas to have a moment to stop and talk about the birth of Christ and what takes place. So as we open our Bibles and we look at Luke chapter 2, we see it, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing... Uh, uh, and this, uh, that the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into the heavens. The shepherds said even uh, one to another, Let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and was told unto them. That's the passage we're going to study tonight. So as we study the passage of God's word tonight, I want to bring to the first uh, forefront of the study that uh, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can go to where they believe Jesus was born. And there is today a church that has been built on top of it. Now, uh, amazing, if you study history, you'll find out that wasn't the first church that was built on it. There was a church originally built on it many, 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 many years ago. In, in uh, 325 A.D., Emperor Constantine ordered a church to be built over that site. And after the original structure was des destroyed, Emperor Justiniana constructed a new church on that site. So if you go there today, you go down into the earth and you go through this thing and you get down there and they have this place where they believe is the closest thing to where Jesus was born. Now, I want you to understand that if you go to Israel today uh, to get to the ancient streets that Jesus would have walked on, you actually have to go down in underneath the actual current city to get on those roads because so many centuries have passed and there's a lot of history that has gathered on top of it. So it's pretty cool when you start looking at, now, I've never been there. My dream trip, now I've talked to Sandy about this, my dream trip is a trip to Israel. And she said, well, that's great. And I said, well, I don't ever think I'll be able to afford to do it in this lifetime, but when I come back in the millennial kingdom, it's going to be a free trip, okay? So as we look at the passage of Scripture, I want us to understand that first and foremost, when we look at historical information about the birth of Christ, they, they actually do believe they have a reasonable understanding or or idea of, of where he was born. And there's a structure built there where people visit all year round and they pray and they recognize and they see this birthplace of Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Many of, of, pe many of the people in the world who believe that there is a God and that there, there is a Jesus, they believe that, that uh, Jesus came to this earth. They, they take travels there and they go to those spots that are significant to biblical context, and obviously where Jesus was born is one of those places. So what we see here that Luke does in Luke chapter 2 is he takes eyewitness accounts of what takes place in the birth of Christ, and he, he tells the story about Jesus' birth. And as we look at this tonight, there's some interesting things that come out of it. The first thing is that there's, there's an angelic proclamation. There's three times where we see angelic proclamation in the story. The first time, if you go back and you read the historical context of the announcement of Jesus' birth, we see that Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appears to uh, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And if you were attending church recently, pastor preached a great message. Who He preached on that specific event. If you didn't get to see it, you're watching online, just roll back on the YouTube videos and find it. Great message. You'll be taught a lot in that. 
And it will remind you of the experience Zechariah had when the angel appeared to him and Elizabeth finding out about the birth of the Son of God and what was going to take place. You can reference back to John 1, 5 through 25 also. So that's the first time. The second place we see Gabriel show up to announce the birth of the Savior is when we see Elizabeth's cousin, uh, Mary, who ends up being Jesus' mom and uh, Joseph, and how the angel appears to them and declares to them that the Messiah is going to be born through Mary, and he was coming. And then the third thing we see here is that he pronounces to the shepherds in this field outside of Bethlehem about the Savior being born in Bethlehem. Now, if you read the story in the historical context, you'll find out Gabriel is the angel that's mentioned, mentioned here. I was reading after one commentator, and he said Gabriel must have been a real gossip. He couldn't keep a secret. I mean, he just determined to go tell everybody. But do you know what? When you know Jesus, you want to tell everybody about him. And Gabriel, one of those great angels that exists in heaven even today, he knows Jesus. And he couldn't wait for the opportunity to tell people about him. So he tells Elizabeth and Zechariah, he tells Mary and Joseph, and then we see he comes and he tells these shepherds. So we see three parts of this story where the angel Gabriel, uh, or an angel, we'll say with the shepherds, we don't know for sure it was Gabriel, so don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Bill's a scholar and he, he determined it was Gabriel. I did not. There's no scholar that has. There's just speculation that Gabriel also told the shepherds because he was the one involved in telling the other people. And, and we're just going to go on that, and you can take that for what it's worth. If you can figure out it was, in fact, Gabriel, and you were that, that smart, and you have that kind of information, please come show it to me. I would love to see it. So as we look at the Word of God and we see these three occurrences of what takes place, I want to jump into the, the first uh, part of this, uh, of this birthing story and the historical uh, context so far as governmentally. So we talked about scripturally, and we talked about the angel declaring his birth. Now we're going to talk about governmentally the current situation, what takes place in the context of Israel and Roman rule and what's taking place. So if you, if you study history and you look at it in the context of what we see develop in scripture here, the first thing we see here, and we have to understand is, about, uh, about this time, uh, there was a, a, uh, a Caesar that comes onto the scene. Well, you see here in the passage of Scripture, if you read it, he's referred to as Caesar Augustus. Well, what we have to do is we have to go back, and his actual original name was Gaius. And he was adopted by the Caesar. And in the process of Roman uh, government or the Roman rule uh, expanding, if you study history, you'll find out that uh, Rome was actually ruled by several generals at one point in time, and then those generals began to consolidate power with one person, and that one person, as you study history, you will find out that it was Gaius Octavius, and this was, the, Gaius Octavius was adopted by Caesar, and in the process of, of his coming to uh, uh, life in, uh, with Julius Caesar, he basically, in about AD 27, is given the name Augustine Caesar, or Augustus Caesar, which is kind of funny, and when you read the history books, you'll find out they tried to name him King Caesar, and he rejected it, <laughs> and then they tried to, I don't know who would want this title, they tried to name him Dictator Caesar, <laughs> and, and for some reason, he rejected that one too, 
Um, and they came up with Augustus. The significance to the name Augustus is really cool. It's connected to the gods of Rome. And it's to say from the gods. So he, he, I think this is really interesting. He wasn't just looking, if you, if you look at this, he wasn't just looking to be a powerful man. He was wanting people to recognize him from the gods. Think about that. Guys, the, the greatest problem that we face even today in this world, right here in Orange Park, Florida, is people want to be their own God. That's what they want. They want to determine what's right and wrong. They want to determine what's good and bad. They want to determine what they do, how they feel. And you know what? God created us to be free-spirited, free-willed beings. This is the problem. There's a, there's, there's a, a portion of our society that thinks that they can determine being the own God in their life how they can have eternity without spending it in judgment for the things that they've done that are not good. And they think that they can give to, to children in Africa or give to, to dig wells in some third world country or they think they can go on humanitarian trips around the globe or they think that they can do things locally for homeless shelters or you fill in the blank. I, I'll give a certain amount of money to religious organizations or I'll, I'll attend church every week or you fill in the blank. People as we, we, we listen, humanity has this idea they want to be their own God. You say, well, prove it. I can prove it with Adam and Eve. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did they do after they sinned? We have to cover ourselves. And they took fig leaves and they sewed them together and they tried to create a covering for their own sin. And when God showed up, he said, that won't work. You need my covering. And an animal was slayed and skins were taken and made for clothes to cover them in their sin and their nakedness. Listen, humanity, since the Garden of Eden, has been trying to figure out ways to justify themselves. And the reality is, the Bible says there's none righteous. Whether you want to find it in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they both clearly declare there is none righteous. Right? Okay? If we continue to study the New Testament, we find out that we're told that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, we're all adults in this room. If you go back and look at the actual translation of filthy rags, it's rags that are used for women that are going through their time of the month. That's the way our good works are looked at in God's eyes. They are not good at all. We think they're great. And he says they're dirty, filthy rags. Do you know why that is? Because in our pride, we think our righteousness is making us good. And the reality is we are no way able to make ourselves righteous. The harder we try to make ourselves righteous, the more wicked and disconnected from God we become. And what we have to realize is Jesus it's Jesus' righteousness that makes us acceptable to the Father. Now, let me, let me put it this way. So if I, went to, if I went to China or Japan or some foreign country and I had a bunch of, a bunch of coins from that country and I came in here and I said, hey, listen, 
uh, I want to pay the church's mortgage off. And I pull out my pocket full of change from Japan or China or wherever it is, and I say, there it is. Um, Guys, our banks here don't accept Japanese money. I have to actually go somewhere to get it exchanged to make it actually be usable in the U.S. What we do is we take our righteousness, and we go to God, and we say, hey, I want to reconcile with you, God. Here's my righteousness, and he says, hmm, that doesn't work here. But what do I need to do? Uh, You need to go down to the exchange. His name is Jesus. You take your righteousness, and you need to lay it at his feet and realize how dirty and filthy and unaccepting it is, and you need to realize that Jesus and the righteousness that he has and what he did on the cross is the only way to pay your debt. And when we come to that place, listen, I'm convinced that, that believers today have lost sight of the salvation they got from Jesus Christ or they never got it at all. Because when you came to Jesus, listen, coming to church doesn't make you a good person. Giving to the church doesn't make you a good person. Helping old people across the street doesn't make you a good person. Going on humanitarian missions doesn't make you a good person. There's nothing that can make you a good person. It's only Jesus. And when you do those things to glorify God and for the kingdom, you're doing it for his righteousness and not yours. And that's where it makes a difference in the kingdom of God and the work that it's trying to accomplish. So as we look in this passage of Scripture and we see these three things where the, where the angel comes and declares, and then we see as, as, as uh, the, the um, historical context of what happens in Israel, and at this time in Rome, Augustus, Caesar Augustus is declared the, the one who all the power is consolidated in. And I know some of y'all are sitting here thinking, how in the world did you go from doing what you were just talking about to Caesar Augustus again? We're getting there. Just follow me, Okay. If you've not been to my life group class, I invite you to come visit sometime. It's the Hope class. We meet on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Just, it, we'll get there. So, when we think about all the power consolidated in Caesar Augustus at this time, and we see the decree that he gives, as we read the story, and for many years as I read the story in Luke, I thought, well, sure, so, so Caesar Augustus, He gives this decree, and Mary and Joseph travel about between 70 to 90 miles, depending on who who you talk to and what commentator or theologian you read after. They travel 70 to 90 miles. She's pregnant, ready to burst with a child, and they're traveling along. And in this process, as you read this story, you think, oh, wow, this this is quite captivating. And they get there, and she has the baby. And then you begin to study the Bible, and you grow in the Lord, and you find out, well, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, and you begin to find that out. I want you to realize, it was no mistake that Joseph and Mary were told due to taxation and due to the, 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 the census that was given out that they had to be in Bethlehem. That was no mistake. 700 years before Jesus' birth, God already had it all under control and already said Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, even though Joseph and Mary resided in Nazareth. Listen, Rome was not in control. Did you hear me? God was in control. One thing I'll say is, guys, and I don't want to go down this rabbit trail before, we we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our state. We need to pray for our local Orange Park government. 
We need to pray for these people that we've elected to offices. Whether you like them or not is irrelevant. The relevancy is that God allows them to be in the position they're in, and we need to pray for them and do what we can to support the kingdom of God in this process. And in doing so, we need to recognize as much as mankind thinks he's in control, he is not. See, Caesar Augustus, he gives this decree. And as you read the story, you think, oh, well, that's the reason Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. That is not the reason Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. It's not because Caesar decreed for them to go. It's because 700 years before, God said, my son's going to be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph were going to get to Bethlehem somehow, regardless of whatever Caesar did. Y'all follow me? You want God to do some amazing things in your life? Quit thinking that other people are the ones controlling what happens to you and realize God is in control. You say, but I don't like what's happening. Then talk to God about it. I was reading an article. Some of you follow me on Facebook, and I put it on Facebook. It was an article about God uh, being put in, basically being put in bad positions or bad places and how to, how to, how to work that, how to process it. And folks, I'm here to tell you today as believers, we live in a fallen world and bad things happen all the time. And if we continually blame God for all the bad things that happen, we're going to be in a bad spot in our faith. The reality is God is well in control. And it's not that he can't stop these things from happening, but part of his plan and what is taking place in this world is, de is dependent on these things happening. And as they happen, the opportunity we have is to recognize that God is in control and the kingdom of God is at work and all things work together for good to them who are, are called and love God and are called according to his purpose. If we can't live with that faith, and, and I stand before you tonight, just honestly, y'all know I confess this about every time I preach. I'm not going to stand here and tell you I have this figured out because I don't. I struggle with it every day. I struggle with it every day. God, why do you allow this to happen or that to happen? And I know that, God, you have the power that you could just take care of it. But God is not my genie. He is not there just to answer my request at my whim. And I only see the short life I've lived on this earth. I have not seen creation to the burning up and destruction of this place like he has. And he knows what needs to happen for him to receive glory and for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I guess that's one of the things I'm, I'm learning right now is the reality that maybe sometimes God is putting us through difficult circumstances for the opportunity to share the gospel with people we never would have come in contact with if we hadn't went through those difficult circumstances. There's people that we can minister to that, that need somebody that knows what they're going through, and that's why we went through what we went through. Maybe you're sitting here tonight or you're watching online at home, and you've been, you've been through, through losing somebody dear to you, and, and you've questioned God and asked God why. Maybe God allowed this to happen in your life so that you could utilize, utilize it to bring him glory in helping other people who are struggling with losing loved ones. Maybe you're here tonight, you, you, you're, you're going through divorce, or maybe you're here tonight, you've, you've went through abortions, or maybe you're here tonight, and you've went through uh, abusive situations, or maybe, I don't know what, what destruction and what path of destruction has happened in your life, 
But one thing I do know, God could take that path of destruction and turn it into something beautiful. If somebody could come to faith in Jesus Christ and be encouraged in their walk with God and help them along their way. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we, we think, I, I, let me tell you, for years I thought that it was just happenstance, that history just worked out that way, that Mary and Joseph happened to be in Bethlehem. But I'm here to tell you today, 700 years before, God already told what his plan was. And it happened. So as we look in this passage of Scripture and we see what's taking place here, we see that uh, the census took place about every 14 years. And we see here that during the census time, at this particular time in Roman history, they were at peace. So, really cool, really cool thing I learned as I was reading. There was a temple of Janus in Rome. And when the doors were open to the temple, it was open for people to come pray for the soldiers and the warriors that were out in battle that they would win and return safely. At this time in Roman history, those temple doors were closed because Rome was at peace all over their, their, their region. And now Caesar Augustus is, is the Caesar who is declaring himself what he wants to happen in his realm. And in the process of that, we see Jesus and his birth. So as we look at this, we see that Joseph, and we get to verses 4 and 5, the Bible says here, uh, that, and Joseph also went up from Galilee into the city of Nazareth under Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Here's another historical fact that we need to understand. It's not in the Bible lesson, but I'll give it to you for free. You won't have to pay extra. Okay? If you go back to the book of Matthew and you trace back Jesus' lineage, we see here in Luke, Luke brings out the fact that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Now, you could read over that and think, oh, that's neat. No, it's more than neat. Do you know what it takes to sit on the throne of Israel? To be a descendant of David. You go back and read the book of Matthew and see they normally don't do this. You go look at Mary's heritage, and her heritage traces back to David. So Christ, no matter whether you went through the father's bloodline or the mother's bloodline, he has... He has a right to the throne in Israel. And that's exciting because in the millennial kingdom, guess where he's going to be sitting? On the throne in Israel. And he has the lineage to be there. It's not just because he's God. It's because God knew what needed to happen for this to take place. And historically, it happened just like he planned it would happen. When we look here, we see that Joseph goes up into the city of Judea, or into the city of Bethlehem. If you look here, he says uh, they traveled, uh, um, now I lost my place. My, my mind's going to meet a miles a minute right now. So Joseph, they go to the city of Nazareth, under Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. You see here it says in verse 4 that they went up from Galilee. Now I've had people come to me and they've said, well, Bill, Galilee is not north. I understand that. But do you realize, did y'all ever know there's hills in Israel? There's mountains. You know, we study mountains in the Bible. Uh, there's kind of seven major ones where pretty significant stuff happened on them. Galilee was in a higher sea level area than when Bethlehem was. 
So when he says here that he went up, or it's in a lower area, it says here when he went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, he's not going, he, he's not going north, south, east, west. He's going up. That means he went higher in the sea level factor than lower. So in the, I will tell you, as you're a Bible student and you study the Word of God, when you see people go up and down, don't think north and south, east and west. Check, the, check what you're talking about because it could have been that it was just a lower elevation. Cool, cool little thought as you read this. So we get to verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want you to picture this. Mary is probably about 16 or 17 years old. She is with child, ready to burst. And she gets thrown on a camel or a donkey or whatever and dragged 70 to 90 miles. How many of you ladies like that trip? Y'all following me? She gets to Bethlehem, and the Bible says that the time was accomplished she delivered her firstborn son. The first thing I want to I bring to your attention is, if you look at this passage, it says her firstborn son. I want you to understand Mary had more children than just Jesus afterwards. Now, the Bible teaches us she was a virgin, that she conceived of the Holy Spirit. God was the, the father of, of Jesus. And Joseph did not touch her or or have any physical relationship with her until after Jesus was born. But when you study the scriptures, you're going to find out that some of Jesus' half-brothers, Joseph's and Mary's sons that they had together, ended up becoming committed followers of Christ in his earthly ministry and became his disciples, some of them. You read the book of James, you read the book of Jude, these are all brothers of Jesus that, that listen, these are, these are young people that grew up with him and saw him in his daily life, and they, they believed that he was Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I want to ask you something. I want you to think about the people that you live with every day. You probably question whether they're saved or not, let alone the Messiah. These young men believed that Jesus was the Messiah because they watched his life day in and day out for all those years. As we look in this passage of Scripture, she's 16, 17 years old. She gets there. She has this, this child. The first thing we see here is Jesus was the firstborn. That, and that's to say she had more children after that. And then it says here that she wrapped them in swaddling clothes. I thought this was really cool. I got my Hebrew culture book out. I started looking at this word swaddling. Okay, It's a really cool concept. This, it's, I want you to picture a square cloth with a long strand hanging off of it, a long, thin strand. And what they, they would do is, you ladies know how y'all take that, that uh, receiving blanket, and you take the baby and you lay it on it, and you, you, it's a little burrito when you're all done, you know, that's all just your little head, you know. Well, they would take that little square cloth, and they'd wrap it around the baby, and then they would take that long tail that was on it, and they would wrap it around the baby to get it nice and snug in this little thing and keep it warm. That word swaddle, that's what it's describing there. Now, it says here that they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they lay him in a manger. Now, as we know, we, we, we drive around and we see manger scenes. Uh, even here, we have a manger scene and what appears to be, I mean, we have a very beautiful feeding trough here. I can assure you the one Jesus was laid in was probably nothing like that. Okay, It, it was most likely 
what would, would have been cut out, it would have looked like a wooden bowl of sorts that they would dump the water in or they would dump the food in. And what we see here is, so they get to Bethlehem, there's no room for them in the inn. I want you to, con- I want you to, to picture in your mind a huge open courtyard, okay? Let's, let's go to fairy, fairy tale land here where we imagine, okay? I want you to imagine that this room is a big courtyard with grass and there's a fire in the middle. And around this courtyard, there's a wall like we have here. But in this wall, there's like a six-foot opening with a gate. And then you go over about 10 feet, and there's another six-foot opening with a gate. And there's rooms off the side of this courtyard. So people would pull up in their camel, and they'd check into the hotel, and then they'd go around to this courtyard where the fire's at and where typically the servants would be, and they would they would be able to put their camel or whatever, they'd wrap, wrap it around a little post out in the courtyard, or they may have paid to rent one of the, the little rooms to be able to take their camel and put it inside or, or whatever. Well, when Mary and Joseph got there to, to Bethlehem, they, there was no room for them inside and with the comforts of home. So the innkeeper says, well, I don't have a place for you to be, but you could use one of these rooms in the courtyard. Now, I want you to consider if there's cows and sheep and camels. What do you think's on the floor of that place? And you got the manger, the feeding troughs, and you have all this noise going on. This 16 or 17-year-old girl is going into labor. By the way, they couldn't afford a midwife. They're poor. They ain't got no money. And here she is, giving birth to the Son of God. He came to this earth, not like a prince, but but a pauper. I was reading one commentator when I was studying for our lesson tonight. And one of the things they they brought out was the fact that, that Jesus was born in poverty. So he understands what it's like to not have. But he was also the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he knows what it's like to have everything. But when he came to this earth, he knew in his humanity, he was born in poverty. And in his poverty, he knew what it was to want. And this, this, this struck me. And yet he never coveted. Even as the Son of God who could have spoke whatever he wanted into existence, he never coveted. There was no sin found in him. When we look at this passage of Scripture and we see what they go through as they get there to Bethlehem and there's no room for them and she's in this courtyard, probably in one of these side little pen areas, giving birth to this child with who knows, who knows being there. And this is the way that God chose to come into the world. He could have been born in some castle with all the luxuries, but that's not what he chose. He chose, the Bible says he chose to give up everything. God gave up his only begotten son, and he came down here in the human form. 100% God, 100% man was born just like you and I was born and laid in a manger 
And he did that to redeem and reconcile me and you to his father. As we look at this lesson, we see here that the shepherds are told. This is pretty cool. I like being a pastor because in the word of God, shepherds are pastors. Pastors are shepherds. God has entrusted me with the same message that he entrusted the shepherds that night with. Go find Jesus and then tell everybody about him. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. If you have Jesus, go tell everybody about him. By the way, if you have him, it's hard not to tell people about him. Amen? So as we look at this passage, we see here in God's economy, it wasn't about being born in a rich castle. He was born in this lowly manger. He wasn't born to members of the Sanhedrin. He was born to a little 16-year-old, 17-year-old virgin. He was fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling his will. So the shepherds get told about Jesus' birth. I think the first thing we see about shepherds is they were humble men. Typically, shepherds didn't have a whole lot. They were very resourceful. They lived off the land because they were out for months at a time. Most likely, um, I know some of you may gasp at this, but it was probably more, more around the middle to the end of September than it was December 25th. The weather, the weather was bearable for them to be out. Many commentators believe that these shepherds were actually shepherds who kept sheep for temple worship and sacrifice. So, when the angel appears and says, go to Bethlehem, the Messiah's been born, and they go to see him, they walk away and they say, we're used to taking these little lambs to the temple, we just saw the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. It's a pretty interesting thought when you ponder it some. The shepherds are in the field. They're not the high part of society, but they're the ones God chose to tell the message of Jesus. If you look at this, one of the things that comes out is the angel of the Lord comes on them, verse 9. Now, again, I come back to tell you, we don't know which angel this was, but we know it was an angel. Mind you, some commentators would tell you that the reason the angel's name isn't mentioned here is because we would become more focused on the angel that delivered the message rather than the message itself. I thought that was an interesting point. And I tell you, a commentator said that because I wouldn't want you to think I'm that smart. So, look at verse 10 and 11. The Bible says, And the angels said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We see here he says, Great joy and good tidings. Do you know what gospel means? Good news. If you translate gospel, it means good tidings. How many of y'all have ever sang the song when you're growing up in church? Good news, good news. Christ died for me. Good news, good news. I'm saved eternally. Y'all are looking at me like a Catholic in a new gate. Good news, good news. Okay, I will skip that one. So when you look at this passage of Scripture and you see the good tidings, the good news, the good news that Messiah had come and he's here on earth. It's Emmanuel, God with us. 
The angels, as they declare this in verse 10 and 11, they say, good tidings. Listen, this is a single verb that incorporates the entire phrase and employs the same word for which we get the word evangelism or gospel. That's the word here we see in the originals that describes the good, the good tidings that they say here. It's the same word we get evangelism from or gospel from. Pretty cool, isn't it? The good news would apply, look at this, what he says here in verse 11 or verse eight, uh, verse 10. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to, you see that word, all people? It's not just about Israel. It's not just about white people. It's not just about black people. It's not just about Asian people. It's not just about Indian people. It's about all people. Doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what part of the continent you're born on, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're bald, praise God. Doesn't matter whether you're skinny, doesn't matter whether you're fat, it doesn't, none of those things matter. It's to all people. By the way, it doesn't matter if you have learning disabilities, it doesn't matter if you've been born with some type of defect. Jesus Christ came to this earth. The angels are declaring it to all people. He didn't come just to save a couple. He came to save all of us. And we see that on the cross of Calvary. I have to hurry for time's sake. We don't have but about five more minutes. So we see here that the gospel that we can declare today, right here, right now, Jesus wants you to be saved. Just as the angels presented themselves to these shepherds, and they declared the saving grace of God. They declared it to them, and he, they said, it's here right now. You can go see it with your own two eyes. And they say, listen, go see Jesus. Go experience him. And I'm here to tell you, if you're watching at home or here in this place, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm telling you, today is the day. Today is the day. Today, you can have forgiveness for your sin. Do you understand if you don't ask Christ to forgive you for your sin, if you don't recognize you're a sinner and come to him and say, I know I'm a sinner, and because of my sin, I'm separated from the Father, and I can't spend eternity in heaven, and I don't want that to be the case, I accept what you did on the cross for me. I accept that, and I give myself to you. Folks, today... Just as these shepherds were told by the angels, you can go today. Right now, you can experience this. And Jesus wants you to do this. That's why we're here. God wants you to go see Jesus in Bethlehem. And I'm here to stand in this place tonight to tell you whether you're at home or in this place, God wants you to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who went to the cross of Calvary for every one of our sins. And today, you can embrace Jesus' forgiveness if you accept that you're a sinner and give your life to him. If you'll look at Calvary and look at that cross and accept that he did that for you, when he laid his hands out and they put nails in him, when they beat him, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, when they dropped that cross into that socket and jolted his whole body, he did it for me and for you. If you will accept that he did it, and he, 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 he hung on that cross. And the Bible says that he gave his life willingly. Man didn't take it, he gave it. 
He told the Father in heaven, into the hands I commit my spirit. And he let the spirit out of his body, and his flesh became an empty shell. He died. They took him off that cross, and they put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again, showing power over hell and the grave and sin, and he made that possible for us. And if you believe that today, you can accept Jesus Christ into your life today and become a new creature in God. Old things are passed away, all things become new, and you can become a believer in Jesus Christ. Just go to him and say, I believe what you did on the cross was for me. I know my sin separated me from the Father, and I want that taken care of, and I believe what you did on the cross took care of it. I want to give my life to you, and I want you to come into my life, and I want to live for you. And give it to him. And watch him come into your life. You might be sitting here today, and you might be thinking, well, there's some things I want to change before I do that. You don't need to change nothing before you do that except your attitude. You can't change yourself to get good enough for God. Go back to illustration A in this lesson tonight. Our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. You can't change yourself good enough for God to accept you. He doesn't want you to change good enough for him to accept you. He loves you just like you are. He went to the cross for you when you were living in sin. He died for you, rose again, and today wants to save you. That's his desire. Because he loves you just the way you are. You say, well, there's things I need to change. Why don't you get saved and let Jesus change you instead of you thinking you can change you? I say that with love and compassion and genuinely desire for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ if you don't know him. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to hurry. We've got two minutes. We get to verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14 says this. And suddenly there was with an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. First of all, I want to, I want to, I want to tell you something that may burst your bubble. Nowhere in Scripture do we hear about an angel singing. They didn't sing. It says that they praised God. Some theologians, some scholars believe they may have been chanting. The, the truth of the matter is, the people that were there are no longer alive. So we can't ask them for a blow by blow. But what I do know is the scripture does not say they sang. It says that they glorified and praised God. They lifted their voices. There was shouting. We, we don't know in what way, shape, or form they may have expressed that. What we do know is it doesn't say they were singing. Okay? So, as we look here and we see this, they're praising God. A multitude of heavenly hosts. And I want us to, to look at something very interesting. If you study the Word of God, when it comes to angels, you'll find some angels were messengers, some angels were warriors, and some angels were praisers. You study the Scriptures, you find out there's angels, the seraphim and the teraphim, that cried, holy, 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 all around the temple in heaven. And they constantly are flying around the throne of God, declaring his holiness and declaring who he is and, and, and making great of his name in that place. And then you have the messengers like Gabriel who come out and deliver a message. And then you have the warriors. You remember the stories in the Old Testament how Israel was being uh, encompassed by the enemy and they didn't know what to do and the city was closed up. And the next day they went out and like 280,000 people had been killed by an angel. Some, some angels are warriors. We see here the messenger showed up to declare that, that God in the flesh had arrived. 
Since God is omnipresent, the terms refer to him in his supremacy is that he can be at any location. I want you to consider that God is not confined to a body. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we see what takes place here, God takes on the flesh, the Son of God, and he's 100% God and 100% man. But don't be mistaken, God the Holy Spirit is still alive and well at this time, and God the Father is still on the throne and not going anywhere. And we see Christ in his life, time after time after time, live his life to bring glory to the Father, not to himself, but to the Father. And then we get to verse 15, the last verse for tonight. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I'm here to tell you, the message of Jesus' birth is amazing. It is amazing. And the shepherds, when they heard from the angels, the messengers, the heavenly messengers that show up, the shepherds say, we have to go see this. We've got to. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're home watching online. And you've heard what I've said tonight about Jesus and the cross of Calvary. You've heard what I've said about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and how he's God, 100% God, 100% man. In his deity, he never lost one bit of his deity when he put on the flesh. The story that we've studied tonight and the angels and the shepherds and the traveling and the historical facts, all of that being involved. Maybe you're watching and you, maybe you're skeptical or maybe you're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to figure out how all this fits in your life. I want to encourage you, as the shepherds were encouraged, to go look and search out and look for Jesus in Bethlehem and find him. I want to encourage you. If you have questions and you're struggling with your faith and all these things have just given you more information that you're trying to put together, I want to encourage you, stay on the journey. If you have questions, reach out to us online. Come out to the church. Give us a call. Myself or Pastor Ball will be happy to talk with you and answer your questions and try to give you information to help you come to a place where you recognize that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he left heaven and gave up everything to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. For 33 years he lived this earth without any sin in his life. And then for three and a half years he ministered. He showed people miracles. He taught with authority. And at the end of that three and a half years, the religious crowd and the Jewish people were found in a courtyard crying out, crucify him, crucify him. We'd rather have the rapist murder of Barabbas than letting Jesus free for one more day. And they whipped him, they put the crown of thorns in his head, they nailed him to a cross. They put a spear in his side and the blood and water flowed. He gave his life for you and for me. And I want to challenge you, if you don't know him as your personal Savior, come and see. Come and see. If you, don't, if, if you don't understand, if you're struggling in your belief, come talk to us. I, I promise you, I will, not, I will not force you to do anything. I will just answer the questions that you might have to the best of my ability. 
But I will tell you, my greatest prayer for you is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, that you will recognize that the time is now. He is here. In your heart, you might be drawn right now to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you. That's God working in you, trying to draw you to him. Don't push it away. Embrace it. You say, I don't know how to embrace it. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Robert. We have some elders here tonight. Get with one of our elders. I'll connect you with one if you'd like. If you're a lady, you say, I don't want to talk to a guy. Okay, I got ladies here that know the scriptures. They can answer your question. We are here to help you to hear the message of Jesus Christ and know that he is here today, that you can accept him as your Savior, and he's the real thing. So with that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for the opportunity to minister tonight, to, to teach this lesson from our life group book. God, I, I know that it's been different than my normal speaking, and it's been challenging to, to, to do this. But God, I, I believe with all my heart that the message tonight was one that calls us to embrace who you are. Father, to embrace you and to embrace the Son. And Father, I pray that if there's someone that is listening to this at any point in time and they don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and they have not been reconciled to you, Father, that they would take a moment and confess their sin and believe that Jesus is the Messiah and give their life to you, Father. Father, as we go our way tonight, be with us this busy week of Christmas. I pray that you would give us opportunity to share Jesus, that we might be a part of leading someone to God, that we would tell them about the faith in our life and what we believe as Jesus saved us. And God, I pray through it that you would allow us to be bold in our witness, yet wise with our words, and that the things we say and do would be truly to glorify you and draw people to salvation. And we love you. We thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know tonight was different how I spoke. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a life group, if you're not part of a life group, everybody hear me? If you're not part of a life group, you need to be here Wednesday night and get in a life group. This is the type of lessons you will hear. We normally have more discussion in our group. We have a lot of discussion and input from the people in our group. Come out and visit. You say, well, I don't know which one I should go to. Visit them all. Visit them all. Find one you like and then go back and keep going. We have life groups that are having Christmas parties on Thursday. If you're interested, our Owls class is doing their thing. Talk, talk to their group and, and uh, tell them you want to be a part of their group. And come out and fellowship with them and hang out with them. Yeah, I, I, I teach one, Pastor Robert teaches one, Miss uh, Carmichael teaches one, uh, Ron, Miss Rhonda, uh, Greg Hayes and John uh, Elmano teach one, uh, Michael Washington and Dave Bennett teach one. We have one that's designed, taught by Brandon for our young people that are ages 18 to whatever. Yeah, you, you don't haven't kicked anybody out of there yet, so... Listen, we have a bunch of different life groups that you can be a part of and become, listen, the beautiful thing about life groups is you get to know people. You get to find out who you're going to church with and pray with them and, and study Bible with them and actually on a smaller scale spend some time together. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a life group, tonight was just a little piece of what the life groups would study. We do have the books. They're, they're about half this size, the student books, if you're interested. They're in the back hallway in the back building on the bookshelf. You can get you a book, and every day you can read a page in that book to prepare for the Bible study we do on Wednesday night. It's a great little devotional opportunity. And if you need help getting any of that stuff, you come talk to me, and I will, I will do everything I can to get one in your hands if we can't find one. Okay, but I know we have them here. I have large print. I have regular print. I mean, come on. I'm trying to do everything I can to get you involved, okay? So, hey, guys, I love y'all, and I appreciate y'all. And it is an awesome opportunity to minister alongside of you guys and uh, to reach people in Oakleaf and Orange Park with Jesus is awesome. Remember to pray for Robert and Miss Sherry. Uh, they're traveling tonight. They'll be back, uh, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Um, so please uh, pray for them. And, uh, guys, there's no life groups this week. We did it tonight. Friday night, 6 o'clock and 7.30. Sunday morning, one service at 10.30. Everybody got it? All right. Have a great week and share Jesus and make much of him.